Iron Jungle podcast is raw, it's real, it has zero gimmicks, zero bullshit, and absolutely zero fucks to give. Welcome to the Iron Jungle. This is real, no bullshit, no holds barred, wide fucking open podcast. We've been at this far too long to be fucking around. This is the jungle. Where anything goes, no holds barred. We're going to be talking about the real shit. How to succeed in a world where you have goals, but there's so much misinformation and bullshit trying to sell you something. This is the informative podcast. And there's no holds barred in the jungle. The question is, are you ready? Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the iron jungle. Let's go. But uh, Drew, you are dressed up. You're looking the part live on location, my man. I uh, know I am. We got the uh, pink Dragon Pharma October Breast Cancer Awareness Edition shirt here. I'm, I fucking love pink, so October is one of my favorite months because everything is released in pink. It's loud like me. It's soft color like myself, and it's uh, bad like Ryan. Yeah. And I got the scientist glasses too. People have lost their shit seeing me on social media as of late with these glasses. I'm like, these aren't new. I've had these since probably May. I but, thought the first time I saw him, you were wearing them because you're dealing with ingredients and being like a chemist, you have to wear the safety glasses. I didn't realize you no. actually. I didn't realize you were blind as a bat. This is great. No, I mean it makes the thing sense. Is they just look big. They they make increase intelligence by two point nine eight percent. You know when you wear them, they're they're big Dexter looking glasses. They're they're Oakley Holbrooks. It's the same sunglasses have a clear lens, a clear frame. I thought it was a cool look, and of course you know they you look badass in the lab. You know so hey, you look both. badass in the lab. Bad, a, lot of, a lot of things in labs are badass, or but things that were created in labs are badass. And one of the most, the second most popular category in sports nutrition, behind protein, is the pre-workout category. And it's a category in which you have spent a lot of time in developing pre-workouts, both stim-based and non-stim-based, and some really good products. Um, it's a category that you spent a lot of time in consuming some good and bad products, same as me. Uh, but the topic of conversation today is the evolution of pre-workouts. And I don't know if you've watched the Alex Ardenti documentary, Sups, the movie, but he does a really good job of sort of chronologicalizing the sports nutrition industry, and they, they touch on some of the big pre-workouts, like the No Explodes of the world and the Jack 3Ds of the world that came out and kind of created this new category of sorts, or the, um, the orange, what is it, Ultimate Orange, you know, that, that was a big one back in the day. So we really kind of want to take you guys through uh, the evolution of pre-workouts and where we're at in 2019 and whether we're in a good place, a bad place, or we still need to improve. And I think no one can talk about that better than the guy who actually formulates them themselves, the Vanilla Gorilla himself right there, Drew. Yeah. And this isn't an informational episode. I'm not here to tell you about fucking creatine bed alanine. That's a fun podcast, I guess, but it's dry. We're going to just kind of talk some topical shit, things I've observed, things I've been a part of, things I wish that never happened in terms of the industry. But we'll go where it goes. Dude, kicking it off, we're at the point now. Fast forward, sitting on the couch in South Florida, the year is 2019. The uh, month is September, and a pre-workout has just been released with yeah. 750 milligrams of caffeine. Just caffeine, though. Know? I mean, there's 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 more to add to that in the future. Here, we'll talk about. It. How did how did we get to this point where it seems you know for a while there, you know, pre-workouts. Let's talk about the origin of them. They, they, I remember my first one, 2006, red container, clear, no explosion, BSN. Mm-hmm. 
Nobody used pre-workouts before then. They were around, but nobody knew about them. And No Explode had been out for a while, but they rebranded it to that vibrant red look that they have now currently, even to this day. And it just took off. It created a chasm of a pre-workout that everybody wanted a piece of. There was BSN No Explode, then it turned into Super Pump 250 from Gaspari, and then more and more and more kept popping up. But wow, and then the next thing you know, everybody has a pre-workout. And it was up until about 2000 that I want to say eight when things took a very interesting turn, the emergence of Jacked 3D, the original concentrated quote unquote pre-workout. Right. It lived its life cycle. We'll talk about the things in that and, and got to the point where people actually became the anti-counter anti concentrate. There's nothing really in it except for stims. There's nothing beneficial for pre-workout. And in a way, people, well, not in a way, people were very much correct in terms of actual muscle building ingredients aside from buying crack. Mm -hmm. Evolved to the, the high premium, full, fully disclosed, transparent, mega-dosed labels. And we kind of are we are today. You have a mix of that and people trying to chase the magical stim dragon, if that's a word of putting it, no pun intended. Do you think, I mean, we, we talk about this 750 milligram caffeine and because stimulants are the essentially the only ingredients in a pre-workout that a person can feel. They legitimately yep. get a feeling from it. Their heart speeds up. I mean, besides beta alanine. But, I mean, there are companies who will put, you know, 400 milligrams of caffeine and 3.2 grams of beta alanine just so you feel the tingles and get the energy burst. But because stimulants are something that you can feel that many companies are just like, listen, if, if a consumer doesn't feel something, if I'm going to give them LOV ATP, uh, New Level, or and some of these other cool ingredients like you've used before, but the consumer yep. doesn't get a feeling on that, is that a waste of money? Is there a better opportunity as a brand to make a positive ROI on just throwing a shit ton of stimulants in because the consumer can feel that and therefore they want to repeat purchase that product? I'll agree with that to 100%. The things when it comes to pre-workouts, thermogenics, um, they're things that you have to feel. If somebody gets a stimulant-free pre-workout a lot of times or a stimulant-free thermogenic, and it has some very good ingredients that do increase metabolism or do make you, of course, burn more calories or it helps. Uh, you know, increase training, uh, training performance, you may not necessarily quote unquote feel them, therefore you don't feel like they're working. I mean, you're not gonna necessarily quote unquote feel creatine monohydrate, even though it's one of the most beneficially studied, proven ingredients out there, you don't necessarily quote unquote feel it. Sure, you may look a little bigger, fuller, you may have a more training performance, but it's not like you compare it to something where you take a high powered stimulant, you feel cracked out. You right. take a, a pre-workout, you get the tingles, you feel it. Or you take something that has a thermic effect, you sweat more, or you get the cold sweats. The thing is, those type of things may have a really cool effect, or maybe much of nothing. Mm -hmm. When you add something such as niacin, you get a niacin flush, you're going to feel it, or you launch a you're going to feel wired, but that doesn't mean necessarily the product is working any better. Mm -hmm. That is the reason for that. There is some benefit to those ingredients like beta alanine, caffeine. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, they're there for a reason, but they don't hurt that they have a sensory effect. Right. And so, I mean, it's, it's interesting because those are the ones that, we, that I spend a lot of time on trying to educate consumers regarding, like, listen, there's a lot more to a pre-workout than just caffeine and beta alanine. There is a lot of cool, unique ingredients. I mean, you just came back from supply side. I'm sure you ran into and, and discovered a bunch of new ingredients and your head's probably fucking spinning right now thinking like, what am I going to create for 2020 and 2021? But those are ingredients that require a massive amount of education to the consumer to understand like, this is why A, you want this ingredient and this justifies the price tag because ingredients like nitrosogene, something that you've used before, um, it's not, they're not cheap ingredients at all. And that's what raises the price of the pre-workout. Uh, do, does a consumer like, I mean, in terms of like the pre-workout category, I think that there's a certain portion of the population of consumers who actually want to be educated and want to learn about these things. But I still think the vast majority, when they walk into a GNC, they just say a pre-workout is meant for energy and energy only. They don't understand the other benefits of a pre-workout. 
the whole point of a pre-workout is to prime you for performing better. And some people, all they care about is getting wired. The people want drugs. People want crack. There's there's two chasms people here. There's your consumer that wants a full transparent label where they want to have everything fully disclosed that, hey, clinical dose betalanine, clinical dose of creatine, clinical dose betaine anhydrous, whatever it may be. Or I want beneficial ingredients like PICO2 or LFATP, nitrogen, not name dropping. He's naming some commonly known right. ingredients. People want that in a product. But at the end of the day, certain people, they're, they're not going to care as much at the end of the day, those are more expensive ingredients that can benefit your performance. But a lot of times people, they want to spend a little less money and they want to fucking get hit like a freight train when it comes to stimulants. People want to buy crack. I can guarantee you, you go to GNC, vitamin shops, so on and so forth. The big right. chain stores that have to play by quote unquote the rules a little more on the radar can't sell edgy ingredients. It can't sell exotic stimulants. They're not selling DMHA. They're not selling DMAA. They're not selling any of these things that are considered quote unquote fringe. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote, too fucking much. Yeah, but you know it's not. You don't have to agree with me, dickhead. No, I I, I do. But I also like my head spinning here too because I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of and, and I do this too with with my platform. I do this all the time. Like I look at a, an ingredient uh, or supplement facts panel label, and I look at the ingredients, the common ingredients like a beta alanine, like the citrulline or citrulline malate. And I, to myself, the only way that we can justify it via our platform, whether it's dosed effectively, is based on what we have for studies. And the studies that we have are based on standalone uses of those ingredients, not a yep. synergistic effect of what what does citrulline do with watermelon fruit powder. Like there's a study on that now, right? But I mean. So for me, when I say, okay, this pre-workout, it, it doesn't look like a pre-workout on paper, but, but, but that's because we don't have the studies we once had once upon a time in which brands like you represent um, would fund these studies and say, is there a synergistic effect between these ingredients at these levels? Not, not necessarily saying you have to publish the studies, but having proof that this stuff works. And the only proof that review sites like I have uh, that things work are based on just like standalone ingredient research, which is unfair to yep. formulation. So... Um, not to go off track here, but when you formulate a pre-drew, I mean, you have uh, the the master's degree behind you, you have the education behind you, but you yourself don't necessarily probably have all the research that you would like. So what, yep. what, what, how, do, how do we change that? Like, how do we get you guys what you need? So that way you can start saying, you know what, maybe we don't actually fucking need 50 grams or 50 milligrams of hortonine. Maybe we just need 15 milligrams of hortonine that couples well with 40 milligrams of synephrine and 200 milligrams of caffeine for the best effect. But we don't know that because nobody's funding these studies. I don't think it's, it's not exclusive to the supplement industry. You'd be amazed in things in terms like pharmacology, so on and so forth. Things may take years to develop. Creatine's just been around for long enough to have these kind of things. Beta-alanine's had time to have these kind of things develop. Sometimes they hit it right from the very get-go. They have extra investing in it. With it be something like, say, nitrogen, people have sat down, they've looked at the data, and they've had the chance to do these comparative studies. If an ingredient's very promising, it's dove more into. Sometimes an ingredient may launch. It may not have as much interest. It just doesn't get funded. That's not just for ingredients supplements that's for anything whether it be uh, cancer research whether it be researching oh why you know why do certain people sunburn a little bit more you know there's things that everybody it matters of importance everything's important to every to somebody um you know somebody's gonna find that as high priority then you may be the minority you know some may, people may not be interested in in this even though it may mean a lot to you and that's just life but to answer your question with that i think it's just people Thinking outside the box, a lot of times as you hit it on the head, when I create a pre-workout, I'm not building something that's on paper, quote-unquote, research to have a synergistic effect. A lot of it is based on well-founded and, I, in my opinion, rationalized theory. If you have something like, okay, this blend here, you're going to have, say, uh, say a vasodilator, something that for endurance and training capacity, and something for, say, whatever it may be. 
let's just go with those two ingredients right there. If you have something that's vasodilator that expands blood vessels, nitric oxide, you're therefore increasing oxygen sharing capacity, nutrient delivery, so on and so forth. In theory, it would make everything, it would not only have the nitric oxide and pump effects, but make the other ingredients hit faster and hit harder because in theory, once again, you're in your expanding blood flow, you're going to increase the blood flow, all these ingredients, different parts of the body. So when you think of it from a smart, in my opinion, science perspective, is that you think of things that complement each other. I mean, if you have large amounts of stimulants in something, to my opinion, that can be counterproductive. It can be a vasoconstrictor. And I know this is a hot topic right now. This has been da-da-da-da, where I'm not going to disbunk large amounts of caffeine because of, um, oh, vasoconstriction and so forth. There's actually studies where caffeine can actually have a vasodilating effect and also increase muscle power output. It's not for the standard population, in my opinion. Most people that are not advanced don't need to take X amount of milligrams of caffeine per pound of body weight, which reaches some exorbitant numbers there. If you're not accustomed to that or not for the right purpose or mechanism, it, it's not going to perform well. But if you go to the, the pretty higher end of toxicity, not close, but levels of caffeine, there is things that does increase in, say, power lifters, power output and force development. Yeah. Then you got to think of the other side of the two. How often are you wanting to use this amount of caffeine? There's a different difference between taking that over the course of the day versus taking it in one shot. Your caffeine intolerance, anxiety from it, so on and so forth. Like I would not recommend on a daily basis taking, you know, these 750, even 500. Hell, I, the upper limit for me and things I tend to formulate is 400 megs. And even then, that's a lot of caffeine for me. I'd rather use less caffeine, like around a 300 mark, 350 at the upper limit, but then add something in that has a nice synergistic effect to complement that, to extend the efficacy of caffeine, to make you feel it in another capacity, just relying on huge amounts of caffeine alone. The reason we've come to this, my friend, is that we had everybody doing these exotic stimulants. When I had to pull those, they had to replace it with something. What do we know we can use as safe and accepted? Caffeine. You have somebody going for, you know, say it used to be like 150, 250 megs. Next thing you see some people creeping up for the 300 milligram mark. Then so I pushed it to four. And to me, that's like, wow, this has got to be a lot of caffeine. Now we're at the point people are dosing things at 500, even 750 milligrams of caffeine. Caffeine. I'm not giving them the fucking promotion because fuck those guys for selling the shit. I'm not gonna give them a pitch. But this certain company selling 750 milligrams of caffeine. That's not fucking novel. And I have my own theory on that. I'll tell you later. Uh, for the reason it came to that because they're fucking lazy. But so it's where theory. we are. <laughs> There's your theory. <laughs> so. No, I, I totally agree. It's funny because when you ask people today, like, what's the best pre-workout you've ever taken? Uh, depending on how old they are, nine times out of ten, it's Jack 3D. It, I mean, it, it is every single time. Um, and yeah. it's because it had basically what methamphetamines like DMA, DMAA in it, and it was just like super high. Um, I fucking candidly, admittedly, I would take two scoops of that shit back in the day. And yeah. I would lose my shit in my seat at work. I would take it uh, and I would go work over my lunch break. And if I got a phone call after I took it, like I was shaking on the phone. That's how agitated I was. I don't think consumers understand like that. Like to your point, you mentioned this earlier. Being overstimulated to that point is counterintuitive to what you're trying to actually achieve inside of a weight room. I mean, it was it was a, a, a dangerous pre-workout, actually. I mean, the, people literally died taking Jack. Now, were they responsible yeah. taking it in those situations? Probably not. But, I mean, still, people literally died. The company uh, got sued. There are people in prison because of this stuff. And But people, consumers, you talk about those designer stimulants, DMAA, it's still being fought in the court system today by Jared Wee and the, and the federal government, DMHA. Another one in which companies are getting letters on saying remove them. Um, and methyltyramine, another one that shows up on the dietary advisory supplement list. Hornine, hygienamine. So many of these ingredients that we find in thermos, pre-workouts, 
are being put on this advisory list and eventually going to be banned, and consumers are getting pissed off because of it, because they like it. They, they, they will go out and they'll black market DMAA, which, uh, newsflash, if you're black marketing DMAA, chances are you're probably not even buying real DMAA, and Drew probably knows this better than anybody. Um, if you buy a pre-workout with DMAA in it, um, that means it's not being produced in the GMP facility most likely and some just shady-ass manufacturer. So just be careful on that. But are you, from a, from a formulator standpoint, is it a good thing that these designer stimulants are being removed from market? I think it is. Honestly, I, it's it's kind of sucks looking in hindsight that it was introduced because you got people started in the shit. But then again, people got to use pro hormones for a while and people got the fuck over it. It's just the problem is you have people that are still towing that line. I'm not going to fucking lie to you. There's shady fucking contra manufacturer. There's shady fucking companies mm -hmm. that if they can still do it in a smaller market and get away with it, will still sell shit with DMHA in it. Still sell things with DMHA in it. There's co-mans that shouldn't even want to fucking touch this stuff because of liability and they're like, you know what? I, I, I want to get, I want their business. I want to be able to sell tons of shit. I'll tell you one thing. You are going to get caught. It will get to a certain point. You're going to get big enough if you continue to, oh, we're the only one with DMAA. Well, congrats. Your sale is going to grow. At a certain point, it's going to get fucking noticed, and you're done. And all that money you made selling the shit that you're not supposed to sell, you're going to lose fighting a fucking lawsuit. It's going to get seized. You're going to fight lawsuits, and you're probably going to go to fucking prison because you're purposely circumventing that. Another dipshit company that may or may not have been selling amp citrate a year after it was fucking supposed to be pulled did some sketchy bullshit. I don't care if you listen to this nut or not. Fuck you. I don't really care. You had it on the label. You took it off the website label as if you pulled it, but you left it in the fucking product. So not only did you intentionally deceive a consumer, right. you're literally putting, you're selling something you're not supposed to. You're intentionally deceiving consumers on the website and trying to hide it. But then, you know, to you, you know damn well it's on the label, it's in the product. You had no intention of pulling it because, oh, we don't have to comply to that. It will be okay. We won't get caught. Well, to get raided by the fucking FDA. I mean, there it's the same too. Like companies that relied on some of these designer stimulants. Um, you know, I know a company in particular. I won't name it, but their number ones. They were like the number one selling pre-workout skew for a while, and when DMAA got pulled, their sales dropped dramatically to the point where they had a hard time paying bills. I mean, when you put all your eggs in that kind of basket, you're not you're not investing in longevity as a company. And it's 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 I mean, you know, talking to guys like you and other people within the industry, there are a lot of people that had once upon a time used these designer stimulants, but are moving away from it because they realize. There's no long-term benefit to it. The short-term yep. gains can get them into bigger trouble with the government, uh, and, and like you just mentioned, lawsuits, then what's going to happen long-term? So now they're actually going out, and it's pushing companies to try to be a bit more innovative, which is a, a debate you can have whether or not the industry is innovative or not. But you know, as we, we transition from the 2006 era of, of No Explode and Super Pump and Super Pump Max and Jack 3D, and then you started getting into these more efficaciously dosed pre-workouts. In 2019, it's interesting because we've changed the model too because everybody was always used to paying like 30 bucks for 30 servings was, was you know, the consumer's mindset. The consumer still thinks today that a pre-workout should cost 30 bucks and you should be getting 30 servings. Um, and this is a little bit different, but like now you have that 40-20 serve, which allows companies like you, Drew, and other innovative companies to actually use some kind of unique, more unique ingredients uh, that's more cost-friendly for the, for the company by giving a 20-40 serve. It's not trying to take anything away from the consumer. It's actually trying to give the consumer a better product. It's just that you can't fully give them 30 servings of that formula and keep the price point under 50 bucks. Can you explain that? from Because from I think there's a lot of consumers that still complain like, oh my God, you're charging 50 bucks for a pre-workout. Well, you have to sometimes. Well, the thing is, it's not that we're trying to fucking make money off you. You look at some stuff like, wow, that's way overpriced. A lot of times we'll see something, and from my standpoint, I'm like, oh, that, that's how much that costs. There's ingredients, depending what it is. They cost anywhere from, you know, $36 to 
thousands of dollars a kilo, depending on what it is. So the inclusion of that ingredient, say, I won't name which one specifically, if it's like, say, 36 bucks a kilo, you need a gram and a 30 serve product, you're probably looking at, you know, anywhere from two to three dollars in terms of cost of good. Okay. So when we say cost of good, that means cogs. In other words, how much do the ingredients that go into a said product for that amount of servings cost you? When you make a product, you have to factor in the ingredients, you have to add a flavor system, the bottle, the lid, the scoop, the seal, the desiccant, which is what absorbs moisture, all these things play into account to making a final product, okay? So say you have a product and it costs you a more expensive one, like say $12.50, which doesn't sound like a lot. That's more, that's expensive. Yeah. You have to turn around. You're not selling that pre-workout for $19. You're not selling the thing for $25. You're probably talking one to 44 to $49, your 50, sir, your $50 pre-workout. The reason for that, you may buy it, you, you as a company may have it made in a contract manufacturer for $12.50. That's what it's going to cost you to buy it from the co-man because to say, okay, we have on our paper, there's $10 worth of ingredients and bottle everything in here. Whatever the final cost is, a contract manufacturer has to make some money. They're not going to make it at cost and just give it to you. They have to turn a profit. So say that, you know, uh, $10 pre is for them is $12.50 for you. There's our markup, 5,000 units, boom. That's how they make their money. You're taking what you bought for $12.50. If you're selling it to say a distributor or a GNC, vitamin shop, whoever it may be, they're not gonna buy it for $50. They're gonna buy it at their cost, their wholesale cost. So say that uh, $12.50 pre workout sells for say 29, 30 bucks. Cool, you made $15 off that unit and then they're gonna make their 15 bucks, whatever it may be, which isn't that much. And, and by selling it to the consumer, there's a middleman. If you're selling direct, you have more capability to kind of have a higher cost and then you're selling direct and make what you make. Or if you manufacture your own things, a few brands do that, you don't have the overhead. You're not paying that markup. You're paying for raws, you're paying for the staff to make the damn thing, but you don't have to charge yourself a margin, which is cool. So people forget or they just don't realize the steps and that's not just unique to supplements. You know, whether you buy steak, you're paying for the processing, the shipping, the, the, all those type of things. When you buy tires for your car, you're paying for the disposal tax, the mechanics time to install your tires so on and so forth. Exactly. People need to get out of this mindset that, like, oh, that only supplement industry, oh, only those guys are making a margin and a killing. It's a business. It's a fucking business. You got to make money for sure. I always say you, you can make money not at the expense of the consumer for sure. But even, you know, people out there trying to do the math, well, listen, if you're going to buy a pre-workout for twelve fifty and you sell on your website for 50 bucks, that's a huge yep. margin. Well, okay, there's shipping cost, right? We just talked about that. You have to ship that physically from your location to the consumer. That's anywhere from four to ten bucks, depending on how big the product is. Um, and then you also are going to have marketing. You have employees you need to pay. I mean, there's a lot of overhead in between the middle of the, uh, what we call the middle of the P&L where you have to manage it. At the end of the day, because you buy that for twelve fifty and you sell it for fifty bucks, you might only be making like four to six, four to ten dollars per per oh. unit. Maybe, depending on you know, if Drew's working for you, you're paying this guy like a salary of half a million. You probably are losing money every time you're selling something. So you have to understand um, as a business that there's a lot goes into it. So for us as consumers to justify like two dollars per serving is the most I'll ever pay on a pre workout because I've done this basically like a consumer study on our website. I said, you know, what, what, what's the cost of X? And consumers generally would reply, I'm not willing to pay more than $2 per serving. And that's an interesting mindset because I don't fully know where that came from um, and why consumers think that $2 per serving is the threshold. And maybe you have some better insight on that, Drew. But I just, you know, I'm thinking like C4 is the number one selling pre-workout on the market, right? Um, 30 servings for $29.99. That's a dollar a serving. Um, you get a lot of 40, 20s that sell for 40 or 50 bucks. So that's around $2 or $2.50 per serving. So I don't know if it's just that consumers have been looking at price tags and servings and doing the math over time, and now we're at about that $2 per serving threshold. But I honestly feel like there are some pre-workouts on the market today that are so well formulated that you, you could, I mean, 
they're, they're worth more than that. They're worth like $3 per serving, but the consumer just can't justify the cost to spend to do that. But, you know, they'll spend a buck fifty for uh, a can of Bang, which just has 300 milligrams of caffeine and nothing else, and they don't ever do the math that way. Yeah. I'll be real with you. An energy drink, not just not just Bang. They think it'll be fucking Coke, Pepsi, Bang. Right. Any type of liquid product, it may cost, oh, why is this $1.89 for this shit? There's nothing in here. It's just flavoring and sugar and water. Well, cool. It, the, the product in reality may cost, you know, anywhere from three to four cents for the bottle and lid. The actual cost of the ingredients in there may be a dime. So you're at 20 cents. But the thing is, you got to pay for shipping that shit. Shipping anything liquid is not cheap. It's heavy. It's bulky. It has to be handled with care. You have refrigeration costs. You have distribution. You got to pay people to make the thing. Even automated machines, people have to oversee this. That $1.89 may seem like a lot for a bottle of soda, but then again, what is your perspective? Do you know anything about the labor costs associated with that? Not so much. When you have these higher costs for these cans, like, oh, how come this, all this is is 150 milligrams more caffeine than a monster. Why would a bang be $2 of change? I can buy this for a can of soda for a dollar or whatever it may be. More ingredients means that there's more handling, there's more processing, and also keep in mind, when you they may seem massive, but a company like that size, they're not Coke, they're not Pepsi, they're not Monster. Any smaller brand is gonna have a higher cost for making their products compared to a big brand. Because my friend, people that don't realize this, is that when you have things in volume, you're buying millions of cans compared to you know, little fish, you know, I'll be real, it may not sound like a little amount, like you have a run of 250,000 cans for a for a, a product, right? That is that seems like a lot. But when you think of it this way, that's like a fraction of what some of these soda companies make in a day. They have five or six commands going every single day making some of product. For example, say I can't disclose where or the company, but we had an energy drink for a certain brand I worked with that made at a brewery. The day before we got there to run our 250,000 cans, which is like 16,000 cases, okay? They had run 252,000 fucking cases of a drink the day before. They'd made 249,000 cases the day before that. And that thing is that's for a brand that's pretty big in terms of alcohol, but is not the top seller. If that put things in perspective, they made half a million cases in two days to prepare for a summer launch, and they're in April. Does that tell you the type of volume you're playing with? It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. So let's talk pre-workouts now in 2019 and 2020 as we move forward because these designer stimulants should be taken off the market. FDA may or may not be watching a little bit more closely with some of the ingredients. And you as a formulator, as you, as you try to be different because you hear a lot of people say it's just a lot of copycat. You, see, you look at a formula, you try to one-up them. So if somebody's at, somebody's at 500 milligrams of caffeine, we're going to do 600. That'll, that'll fucking show them. You know? that, that's the way to do it. Or they're at 8 grams of citrulline, we're going to do 10, 10 grams of citrulline because that's the right thing to do. Where do we go? Where is this pre-workout category going to go? Because, I mean, I see some guys, we've talked about people like Chris Waldron before on this podcast and several other people in the industry. I mean, there are some really intelligent formulators, people who actually put some thought and process into, like, what they're doing and try to approach it from a, maybe a different perspective. Um, but I'll be fully honest. I mean, we've looked at hundreds of pre-workouts at FI so far, and many of them are, are, are very, very much alike. Yeah, they are. The thing is, there is the fairness. There are certain ingredients you have to use. People recognize it. It just makes the pre-go. It's things that you'd be silly not to put in a product. Like mm -hmm. whether you beta alanine is one of them. Caffeine is very common. You know, there are some overlapping things. There are things that like, depending on, hey, I want something proven that helps performance. That's awesome. Stick with it. You know, I, there's no need to change something that's not broken in that regard. The key for differentiation, in my opinion, comes down to working on things, different new pathways to go about things. Like, you know what? You don't work some cool synergy here. 
say we have uh, beta alanine. What ways can we go about making beta alanine work better? Maybe things where we can use more of it without having the paresthesia, aka the tingles, or for having caffeine hit harder without having the anxiety. What can we complement that? What different pathways? Something that can once again have a calming effect to pair with the caffeine, which is a stimulatory effect. They work in conjunction to have a nice curve. Or say, what can we do different on the flavor side? Change the experience for that consumer, whether it be like an amino at your workout that's flavored with a juice, or a cereal for post-training tastes like a pie or a protein tastes like a cereal or a pie, not a cereal, God. You know, different things that make the, the user experience different or can come down for even some creative things on the flavor side of things, like doing some branded type things. Ghost has done a great job of that. You have like Chips Ahoy cookies, you have Warheads. Innovative doesn't have to just come with ingredients. And once again, I will argue there are new ingredients that are coming out at a very good pace. The thing is they're coming out slower. But in my opinion, some of the ingredients are coming out, have more studies behind them, have more marketing behind them, have more science and cool things. It just takes longer. They're more expensive. And it takes time for expensive things to take hold because people need to realize their value. Like, okay, what's my return on investment for putting this ingredient in my product? Are people going to care? Are people going to recognize it? This could be the biggest thing. Tea cream's ticking off. Natrosium's mm -hmm. ticking off. Those type of things, it took time. Carnison took off. It was one of the very first beta alanines. Creapure is very popular. But then you have some really cool ingredients, in my opinion, that I've used that, okay, people think they're cool, they like them, but they, yeah, they were not going to buy a product because of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, it, you'd be stupid not to use staple ingredients, so that way people can recognize it. Plus, I mean, there's, there's a reason why they're staple ingredients, because they've been around long enough to be proven that they probably work. Like, I mean, you, it, obviously, caffeine's going to be in any stimulant-based pre-workout. It's going to use caffeine. It'd be dumb not to. Um, I, I, yeah, you, you mentioned like the flavors and different things along those natures. Uh, I didn't go to supply side, but I guess I'm just kind of very interested in, in hearing more about like in terms of the performance enhancing ingredient market, was there a lot there that gives you hope or gives you some, I don't know, get, get your eyebrows raised a little bit that you're excited to start playing around with some of the new stuff that you got to see out there and regarding potential for pre-workouts coming out in the near future? I'll be honest with you, supply side for somebody like myself is kind of a, a touching base session, working on pricing, working on timing, working on volumes, working on the backside in terms of let's do something cool together to build like some science that we can share with the public. In terms of new ingredients, I'll be honest, there's maybe one or two things I saw in the whole show when I was there for three days that was surprising or new to me. And even then I'm like, huh, okay, I've heard rumblings of this or oh, I, I knew you guys are working on this. I've been in the game for so long that sometimes people come to me with new ingredients to see if I want to launch them. They'll ask me for my opinion on them. Hey, as an R&D guy, is this something you'd find of value? Is there something that you could take here that would be you know, a turning point? Because a lot of times you get to a certain point. If you're a known formulator like myself, and I'm not even, quote unquote, the most famous, and that's okay. I have some very good mentors that have been in the game for 30 years. Those are the type of people that get you know new things a year in advance. I'm getting to that point, man. I'm working on it. But... But to answer your question there, there was some cool things and it was awesome to see it come to life. I was like, dude, I heard about this last year and you guys are promoting it at the show just now this year in a big way. It's cool to have that inside track. With that being said, it also is cool to see something that was promising actually gain some legs and take off and be advertised. People want to are interested in it. People are going nuts about it. It's badass. There's certain things I saw, I'll be real with you. Um, that was innovation, quote unquote wise, it was cool, but kind of fucking pointless to me. Uh, there was a certain system where they made a carrier for things like amino acids where it makes them time-released. Or they had a carrier that made whey protein time-released. And I'm like, that's cool, I guess, but why? Why not make fucking casein? Yeah. <laughs> why do you need time-released aminos? It, like, it's cool, but what, what the fuck? Why? There's no reason for this. It's hard to justify that. You know what I mean? 
as we wrap this episode up, I think everybody wants to know, like, what's the greatest pre-workout of all time? We can't just, like, walk away from this podcast without giving people our opinion on, like, what our best pre-workout. Listen, there were pre-workouts that I've taken that had, that I thought was the best of all time before I became educated on what actual makes a good pre-workout. And I based my judgment off of that stimulant feel only. And uh, I'm not ashamed of that. I mean, that's everything starts somewhere. And that's why there are a lot of people like I used to be out in the world today. But, Drew, without naming your own fucking formulation, sir. Okay. What cool. is uh, what's been your favorite pre-workout of all time? Let's make this a little more fair. It's a really hard question. From nostalgic purposes, I'd say the first one ever. Who didn't like no explode with the creatine that didn't exist? Yeah. In terms of the best stimulant pre-workout I've ever had that I enjoyed, honestly, I'm not going with Jacked. And uh, separate discussion, I don't want to get fucking sued. Was the original Craze in terms of stimulant-based pre? That shit literally had drugs in it. Yeah, I think didn't have, like Cialis in it. Uh, no, that was another cut in this industry. Okay. In terms of something that I enjoy um, from a performance standpoint, oh, fuck, okay, I can't name my own product. <laughs> there are a few that I enjoyed. Muscle Elements is a little lesser-known brand. Is, I love the Protetoak as a full-dose um, pre-workout that kind of floats around. I enjoyed that product. They, it was one of the first cyclodextrins in it. Um, if not, so I'm just going to end it there because I'll start talking about shit that I've worked on, and I can't disclose that. So. Yeah, well um... – <laughs> I mean, you obviously have to be biased towards your own products for sure. Um, yeah. I guess for me, when it comes to stimulant based, and I even, like, I hate saying the company, but I said before, like, the original ESP when it came out, which is the, which is funny considering okay. where we're at now in the conversations that I have, um, it had amp citrate in it. Um, it had the one and three scoop in it. And it's just, it, I'm just thinking back, I was like, here I am in 2019 being uh, the guy stepping on his fucking stool because I'm short, yelling it out, <laughs> being like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but I, I did enjoy it because that's all I cared about back then was like that energy high. I didn't give a shit about anything else. And it gave me, I don't know, like, I don't know if you've ever used it, but it fucking, it gave you that like cracked oh. feeling that I'm, that I'm ashamed of today as a 32 year old man. I'll share something with you on that. So this, I wasn't going to bring that up, but it kind of came back to it fine. Everybody was butt fuck crazy about this little like double-sided scoop with the SP. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. This is really cool. One scoop, one small scoop, two small scoops, or one big scoop, which is three small scoops. Yeah. That's the laziest fucking shit I've ever seen. Because here, for those that don't know supply chain, that's a fucking stock scoop that they make for things that's not in the supplement industry. These cocks say, hey, what's cool? This is really cool. Let's do this. Let's like, it's basically a 5cc and a 15cc scoop on the same one. Yeah. Well, that's cool. We can have one small scoop, two small scoops, or say, fuck it, and use a big scoop. And then whatever fits in there fits in there. Let's have the brilliant idea where a big scoop will have, you know, eh, I guess that's three small ones. Let's go three at 750 milligrams of caffeine. Was that on purpose? Probably not. I don't think they're that fucking brilliant. I don't give a shit in that regard but that's where that came from it's not being novel it's buying a fucking stock scoop and said hey let's try this mm-hmm. so uh, call them and they still use it today they still use it today so why not um and then uh i i know it's funny i actually never used the original no explode so um i used the second iteration of it which was a an epic failure um i actually talked to the guy who's on on bsm when that happened but i think in, in today's day and age i mean you can obviously go to our site i really enjoyed uh, what what Greg Helton's team did over at Muscle Sport with their, their their Rhino Black King's Ransom and then the Forbidden Fruit that came out um, and then like non-stimulant wise I think there's a lot of good non-stim pre-workouts out there that don't get enough credit Drew and, and I know you formulated one um, over at Pro Stops when you were there the Dr. Jekyll non-stim which is really good um, I like Peak X as well from Core Nutritionals I think here's what I think if you're listening to this and you've been using we didn't talk about this but you've been using a stimulant based pre-workout month over month over month try giving yourself a break. Use a stim-free pre-workout. And, and I don't know what your protocol is, Drew, but I always say, like, if you're going to run a stim-based pre-workout for six to eight weeks, 
take a four to six week break with a non-stim pre-workout and give your give your body a chance to reset because not only are you consuming that stim-based pre-workout, you're probably drinking coffee or energy drinks or soda. So you really are tossing in a ton of stimulants and caffeine in your system. Um, I guess as a final takeaway, as somebody who formulated one of the better stim-free pre-workouts on the market, what's, what's your protocol and advice that you give to consumers when it comes to stimulants versus non-stim-prees? The thing is, we have a realistic expectation of what you want. Don't go into it with a non-stim pre thinking, oh, I'm not going to feel it. It's not just performance. There are some cool ones coming out, which I may or may not be releasing in 2020, along with the Dr. Jekyll's already out there, that are good stim-free pre's that you will feel in terms of cognitive focus. You'll feel locked in. You'll have a nice sweat. You'll, you'll definitely feel an improved mood and you'll recover better. That's the cool part. It's not just something creatine and something or a pump product and calling it a day. There's a lot of cool things, in my opinion, growing faster as a nootropic. So if you want something stim free once again look at it look for common nootropics look for cool novel things look for them that market in a proper way because you know there's a big difference between oh, a performance free versus stim free in my opinion and not just being lazy oh we're, we have the same form as pull the caffeine that's not what i'm talking about okay if you want stims once again be realistic nothing is going to hit like a dmaa nothing's going to hit like dmha okay especially with caffeine be realistic. I'm sorry. If you come with me and say, oh, these, none of these pre are good, don't have the good stuff in them, and you're referring to DMA, you're, you're a fucking moron. Okay, it's a drug. Everybody wants drugs. And I'm cool with that. That's fine. To me, it's counterproductive. Just saying. Yeah. Drugs are bad, kids. Get, get yourself a dare shirt for the next, next podcast that we have. Uh, if you guys like what you heard, make sure that you hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Check us out on Facebook. We're at the Iron Jungle Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can follow Drew on the IG. It's at, at Vanilla Gorilla Drew. We're at Fitness Informant. Until next time, everybody, behave yourself. And uh, if you can grow up to be like Drew, because he, I think he just turned like 23 years old, you'd be sitting pretty fucking good.